I want to open by saying that for the sake of anonymity and keeping our respective traditions, we are not going to discuss affiliation with 12-step programs by name or offer our full names at all during this broadcast. What we will do is offer you insight into the practical application of principles that helped us to arrive at the realization that the spiritual life was the key to freedom from the bondage of self. We may often quote literature that is connected to recovery programs of which we make no claims of membership or affiliation in any way. This group's primary purpose is to carry the message to anybody that still suffers. There is an easier, softer way, and it begins here, today. You are listening to Recovery Matters. Welcome to the podcast. Most of you know me as Pedro. I am joined today by a few friends. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Yeah, my name is Kevin. I'm an alcoholic and drug addict and uh, recovered for quite some time now. You know, I got a lot of 24 hours behind me and, um, and you know, I know that this program works. Thanks. I'm, uh, I'm Doug. I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict and and I've known uh, most of you guys for a while. I'm new to podcasting, but uh, I definitely am a big fan of the spiritual way of life and what it's done for me. And I am Don, and I am also a drug addict and alcoholic. Um, and I found a way of life that I really enjoy living and find it fulfilling. Um, and I'm very glad to be here tonight. So today, like I promised last week at the end of our episode, we will be discussing the chapter We Agnostics. That is from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That is not the only thing we will discuss today. What we will talk about is how many atheists and agnostics have found that a program of spiritual development can work without a belief in God or religious affiliation. Would anyone like to start? You know, I'll, I'll start, Chris, if, uh, if nobody else has a, a burning desire to speak. Um, my, my experience with the chapter to the agnostics is that it changed my way of thinking in a big way about spiritual matters. You know, the things discussed in there <clears throat> really enlightened my thinking on, you know, whether, whether I needed to believe in God, but also to define my own belief in God. You know, ultimately, my my um, view on spirituality has evolved almost 360 degrees. I'd say <clears throat> I've, I've passed points where I used to believe previously and, uh, you know, gone right back to them. There's, there's a lot in there that I think allows, I've always thought that, that this is a program that can work for anybody, regardless of, of what they believe or don't believe. I think that it's, uh, you know, the talks in the, in the book about a broad highway and that kind of is where I, where I welcome that idea, if that makes sense. Okay. I know for me, I chose a sponsor who was not only a therapist and an atheist for a while but was able to apply the same principles that we talk about as spiritual to very psychological approach. And in fact, I'm reminded that Harvard University did a study on meditation saying that practicing mindfulness for 20 minutes a day reduced 
resting blood pressure and cortisol production, reducing stress and anxiety. This makes you healthier and happier and more relaxed. I would also mention that the steps that we work from have roots in dialectic behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and bibliotherapy. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to note that it, when it talks about um, one of the things that I was reading in this is it's like to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to faith. You know, it seems like like that they put it really simple, and then then a little bit farther they say this is exactly what this book is about. It's how we found the power to get use that power for to get sober and clean in our lives and stuff. And that's what I, Gnosticism is basically actually, you know, the power of God is what the Gnostico an agnostic is somebody that doesn't really believe in the power of a, a spiritual presence or anything like that. And um, for me, for me, it was like, uh, I understood the physical dilemma that was going on with alcoholism. I mean, it's pretty much a scientific fact that an alcoholic is something that you, heredity plays a big part in that. And the DNA in the person plays a big part in that. They've done a lot of experiments where they take twins and they're twins that were alcoholic and like sent them out, lived in different families and stuff. And even the ones that were in a family without any drinking or anything like that turned into alcoholics. And it's almost like a proven fact that that actually was, is a DNA type of thing. And just for a side, side thing, that's part of the reason why um, there's so many alcoholics that are Irish and Native Americans is because alcohol didn't come to those countries till about 200 years ago. So they haven't weeded out the, the people that die from alcoholism from that because they walk off cliffs and that type of stuff and kill themselves all the time. So it hasn't been, you know, weeded out of the bloodlines yet. So, so it's something that, that it is a, a physical, um, dilemma that we have to deal with. And up until the time of AA, they actually had to put people in mental institutions to keep them from drinking because they were absolutely hopeless and had no idea how to deal with this problem at all. That's what most of them either died in the streets, homeless, drunk, or they ended up in a mental institution or in jails for the rest of their life. There wasn't a cure for it before they came up with this solution of the 12 steps that they started working with the spiritual aspect of this. I was reading this earlier, and uh, the one part that was uh, that has stuck out to me today and then before when I read it is the part about if a mere code of morals were sufficient or a better philosophy, um, we would have been okay without the spiritual life. But in my own experience, that was not the case. I did not have it. I, I think I have a pretty good intellect, but that alone um, did not keep me sober. I needed the people, the connection, the uh, the power that I gain from a way of life that I live today, which is much more than just um, what I think. It is what we think. That power greater than myself is the group of drunks that gave me the good order of the direction. And by myself, I do not. I still today do not have the power to to uh, to do that. So it was tapping into something greater than myself. And, you know, for me, it came through meditation to become a part of a whole 
in a different manner that I never knew was possible. And I just had to have a little faith in it to go on it um, and a little bit of understanding that I did not have all the answers. And that was the biggest opening the door for me was understanding that, uh, you know, maybe this was more than just an intellectual thing. It was more than just the philosophy or the mere code of morals. Um, there was something more to it today. I still, you know, I don't have that much of an understanding on it, but I understand it's there. And I believe that it is a, a power that's to be tapped into if I do the correct things. I know for me, the longer that I studied psychology and, and I still work with a therapist just to have someone to talk to, I know that started to become the science that proved the power of prayer to me, you know, that these, these scripts and these things that we say that relieve stress and help us to feel fulfilled and at peace, even in times of distress are the same kind of scripts that any psychologist would tell you, you could appeal to the subconscious mind, you know? And um, I feel like those things kind of connect for me and it's easy for me to, describe the same process I would to a Christian, to a Buddhist, to a Muslim, to an atheist, and they will all do the same practice and they'll all call it by a different name. You know, that's, that's interesting, Pedro, because I, um, I was thinking a lot about where organized religion fits in against the, you know, the agnostic viewpoint. And I was, I wasn't biased, um, when I came, when I came into recovery, I wasn't biased. Like I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, being perhaps a recovering Catholic or, you know, being, being beholden to religious dogma that, that keeps them from being able to get the most out of their recovery. And it says, it says also in the big book that we should be quick to see where, you know, religious people are, are right about things. And, and I think that it takes what my experience has been that there's, power in the mixing of different faiths and different beliefs and and the spirituality comes out of comes out of that where people of different viewpoints get together and you know allow each other to be as they are and then the spirituality kind of evolves from that and and there's so many things that I've seen that are that are almost beyond belief you know instances of of so-called little miracles you know, or, or spiritual happenings that can't be explained, but come as a result of being in communion with other people with a, with a common, you know, it, it also talks in the book about the, uh, you know, compares alcoholics and drug addicts to being survivors of a shipwreck. You know what I mean? People that have come through a common peril. It doesn't take, it doesn't take all having exactly the same belief to allow the spirituality to, to be a part of it. And I think the same goes, you know, as far as different religions, but also those people that have the lack of belief, you know, could still get the benefit if that, if that makes sense. It does make perfect sense. And it reminds me of something that one of my mentors early in life told me, he said, only give them a little piece that can be confirmed from many angles and let them go and experience it for themselves. And my life kind of went that way. And in fact, when I get talking about the process and the practice of this spiritual life, sometimes I get ahead of myself and uh, 
start talking about things because at a point, once you've confirmed it, a lot more past what is easy to confirm seems set in stone. I mean, you can see it with your own eyes eventually. You don't have to believe anything. You can go and witness it yourself, you know? It's difficult for me to know when to stop talking to people who haven't witnessed it at all yet. <laughs> I, I like the concept that if once you have the door open a crack, that's when that's all you really need to start this whole thing is to have the door open just a little crack and things will work for you. For me, I didn't believe it. I kind of had a concept of a God when I came in, but I didn't think he thought too much about me. You know, and I thought I had to do something first before I could tap into the God. If I get sober first, then God's going to be able to help me. And it was the exact opposite of that. You know, I had to, I had, I knew I couldn't do it myself. I had to, get that help in order to get sober so it's the exact opposite of what i thought it was i always thought i had to be good enough for this um you know smart enough or i had to do this certain thing before any type of a higher power is going to recognize me at all you know and there was another part of me that didn't want there to be a higher power either because then i'd have to answer to something for all the things i did and i didn't like that (laughs) idea too much at all you know so (laughs) But uh, I I had to, I don't have to do something first. I didn't have to get sober before that power would help me to get sober. And then, in fact, it's the opposite. I needed that power in order to get sober. And once I can, once I open the door to that just a little bit, then a lot, then little things started getting revealed and this started happening and this started getting revealed my interest in it grew too, you know, because it actually, because you could actually see the stuff building on top of each other. You know? 100%. Yeah. I, um, I was thinking as, as I was listening to you guys that, um, how, how being amongst humanity, how important that is as it relates to spirituality, because, you know, I've heard people and I've used the term being, you know, up on the on the spiritual mountaintop and uh, being by myself. It's pretty easy to be spiritual and to practice that without being amongst your fellows. But I think that there's a there's a magic that happens there, you know, and, and I was glad to see. I, I can remember way back when uh, it's been a while since I've since I've been drinking or drugging. But I remember I wasn't completely devoid of the concept of spirituality at that time either, you know, but it was, it was completely by myself and it was usually, you know, something that I experienced under the influence. And, and I was so glad to see that after I came in and started recovering and put away the drink and the drug, I was a big, uh, I was a big pot smoker and I was afraid that I would never feel that closeness with the God of my understanding once I, once I didn't have the drugs in my system, but I was, I was a hundred percent wrong. And I, I was so happy to see that because what I found is, uh, you know, through prayer and meditation and just paying attention to life and, and the way things go that, uh, I was able to experience, you know, God in my life in a completely different way. And it, and it didn't have to be defined and it didn't have to be, it could be completely, uh, unaided by any sort of chemicals. And uh, boy, what a difference! You know, what a what a door that opened for me to be able to keep going forward. And like Kevin was saying, you know, that it sparked my interest to where when I tasted a little bit of that, I wanted more and more, and I wanted to share it with others. 
one of the things that we have to get physically sober first before anything actually happens. And this is something that I've seen and observed in other people as well as it myself going through the process of getting sober was that first my physical body got better. Then my mental part started getting a little bit better. And then the spiritual part started coming. And it's, a, it's the exact opposite. If you I've observed people that when they go back out, the very first thing that disappears is the spirituality, the morals, the consciousness, that type of stuff. Then the mental facilities start fading a little bit. And then physically, they start getting very, very, very sick again. So they, they, they come in that order and they leave in that order, too. It's interesting. Hmm. I was just thinking that the body was always the last piece of the spirituality for me. And maybe I'm looking for something different, I guess. I just started a new practice, sun and moon with the waning and waxing phases of the moon that includes a yoga practice that I'm blending a high intensity workout into yoga. It's something that I may release videos of because I haven't seen it before as part of a nutritional thing that I might be releasing in the future. I'm not, I'm not even sure how it all is fitting together yet. I want to, I want to finish the process for myself first. It's a continual, fully integrated spiritual practice that brings the body up to the level of the, you know, the ascended mind stuff. And um, boy, it increases metabolism. It gives you this endurance that just won't quit. I'm doing, I'm, I'm like planking and doing push-ups now as a result of this practice, like I'm taking a walk. I'm not even, I'm not even breathing heavy from it. Hmm. And I find that, that the enlightenment and the mind is, is real easy, but the discipline to make the body do that is difficult. In fact, I want to reach for a donut. I want, I want to reach for a cigarette or like Doug talked about all the pot, you know what I mean? And whatever it is, whatever it is I'm going to reach for that's going to affect the body. Now that spirituality of the mind can come back quickly, right? You can listen to a, a singing bowl meditation and sit for 20 minutes and you can feel something and you can have something to say and some sort of understanding of concept. But boy, once you lose that body, it could take months to come back. Years. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> years. <laughs> Especially the older you get there, Pedro. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> You have a lot to look forward to there, Pedro. Um, but, you know, I, uh, I, I'm finding for myself that it is a combination of all. And if I can't do, you know, if one area is down and the other, you know, the other three can pick it up um, and, and any combination of those two, I need to be working on everything to the best of my ability. You know, but I like what uh, was mentioned earlier about being in touch with humanity, you know, the, the secular spirituality. You know, this is the biggest part of my thing is being a part of, you know, being right here, being in the moment. I can walk through the mall and not know a single person in it, but I can be a part of that experience. And coming from a recovering hermit, which is really where it all started for me, you know, to be into that and to be present and to be mindful of that is, is that spirituality that, uh, that I gain a lot of power from. I used to have an old friend who would always talk about God's grace and I would talk about mindfulness. And you know what? At the end of the day, I don't think there were too many differences in the way we lived our life. You know, so I need all this. I need to not discredit his beliefs, 
I need to not try to force mine on his, uh, on him. And, um, you know, it's about being present in the moment and about going forward in life and being a part of it. But it really does, you know, it is emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual. And if I can improve on each one of those, um, I have something to fall back on if the other one is not there. I have ran half marathons before and felt great going out and played with the grandkids. And then I've ran two miles before and I had to go take a nap. And I can, re- those two instances there, my mental attitude was not okay. And my spiritual attitude, attitude and emotional were not okay when I had to go take a nap. And that doesn't mean just if I'm in a good spiritual spot, I can go run a full marathon. But, you know, it, it's about everything today, trying to be present in the moment and to be, um, I don't really like saying complete because I don't think I'm there or ever will be. Um, it's about continuation for me and just trying to find a better way to live. It, it wasn't one thing that made me an alcoholic. It was 10 billion things that made me an alcoholic. It mm-hmm. wasn't one lie that got me in the room. It was 10 billion lies. And, you know, I'm alcoholic right down to my toes. I mean, my hair is even alcoholic, you know. So so that's, that. it has to be kind of the whole picture. I remember having a, a girl come to my door, and she was hammered out of her mind, and she was looking for cooking oil because she was going to make diet brownies you know, here she is smoking cigarettes and drinking, drinking like can't even walk through the kitchen to get the stuff. And she's going to try to make healthy cookies, you know, healthy brownies, <laughs> you know. And it, and it's you know, and I've I've been with people where they're talking about different oils and vitamins that they could be taking while they're sitting there chimney smoking at the same time. You know, it's sort of like you do have to look at the whole picture, and it is everything, and it's not just one thing; it's everything. And that's why I had to change one thing. I had to change that one thing, my my using, my drinking and my using. And by doing that, it changed everything else in my life. I always think of that principle of the mind, body, emotions. A person is like a combination lock that's constantly being turned by different things out of alignment, right? And the more you focus on it, then the more you maybe keep it aligned for 10 minutes, maybe 15 and then, you know, whatever it is that pulls it out of alignment, you know, your desires, your whatever, whatever pulls you, emotions. I think it's the physical part is important. Actually, the first step is the one that deals with the physical. We had to, came to William, we had a powerless over alcohol. We had to put the alcohol down physically. We had to put that down before anything could happen. When you're talking about the serenity prayer, we asked for the serenity first before we could start doing those other things. We have to calm the body. We have to heal the body first and, and calm the mind and heal the mind or else nothing is going to happen. That that part has to be taken care of first. Yeah, and I, I, I do believe I've always, not always, but lately I've looked at it as four different areas. You know, you have the physical, um, but then there's the mental and emotional because thoughts and feelings are different for me. Um, but then there's the spiritual. You know, if I don't drink or drug today, the only thing I'm granted or guaranteed, I should say, is physical sobriety. Um, nothing else has to change. Um, you know, as I change my actions and, and my thoughts, um, those I have some way of recognizing the meditations, you know, the physical meditations, you know, or the awareness 
if, like if I'm standing in some line at like Wegmans and I'm dancing around because I'm impatient because the lady in front of me is writing out a check, I can recognize that and I can do something to stop that. You know, and it's a, a, the feeling of anxiety. I can do something about that. You know, and then there's the, the mental thought. We can work on that. We can put different thoughts in there. We can read. We can journal. We can do these things to control you know, to some extent, our thought process. My problem was that spiritual aspect because I had to know, I had to have answers. Whether or not I can control it or not was one story, but if I could understand it, that gave me the illusion of control. So when, you know, proposed with a spiritual idea, I really had to surrender the idea that I was going to be given all this knowledge by myself. And that's a key right there. I am not going to get gain these experiences by myself, believing in something that, you know, I may not ever have the answers to, but I believe that that power is there. So I had to look at it like that, and I had to have a certain amount of surrender. And for me, the one thing that always kept me from doing that was fear. You know, so I've had to unlearn a lot of the things that uh, that have caused me to be fearful in life. There's that part where it's already been mentioned where we need to be quick to see where religious people are right. I can't quote it word for word, but there's a part in the Bible that says something about to enter the kingdom kingdom of heaven, we need to become childlike. And for me, you know, I, I interpret that as unlearning a lot of the bad habits that I have learned through life and be coming back to that, uh, that innocence where I can actually um, be teachable. You know, so it's, it is that combination. I don't think spirituality is, for me, I've searched for a definition and I haven't found one that is concrete, keeps evolving for me. You know, you know what I think is that to, to jump off of where you are leaving that off, Don, is that humility goes right along with being teachable and understanding that I don't have all the answers and, and keeping my mind and my spirit in a place where I'm, I'm welcoming the help, and I, I think it does go right along with being childlike. You know, when when uh, when we were young, we didn't mind when somebody was going to do something for us or tell us, you know, to try it this way. That was that was a good thing. And um, boy, if I if I keep myself in that place, things just seem to go so much easier. You know, I don't have I don't have that. For me, the the hardest days are the ones when I'm when I'm uh, grinding and pushing to try to get a result, rather than just kind of wearing life like a loose garment, so to speak, and and going with the flow of things. And I was thinking about it when you were talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, being in in line at the supermarket. You know, whether whether it be something like that or being uh, caught in a traffic jam or taking time out to, to stop and help somebody that looks like they could use a little help. You know, those things are the things that that re realign the order of priority in my day. But that usually if I'm doing it and I'm uh and I'm doing it right and not being bothered by things, everything else falls into place. And I know, I know that's a spiritual principle because I've seen it I've seen the the results too many times to uh I've seen the results both good and bad. I've seen what happens when I struggle against it, and I've seen what happens when I go with it, and the difference is unbelievable. You know, and it can be that simple for me. And and I think I spoke of it on the last podcast, but it, it really starts for me personally 
with taking, even if it's just 30 seconds at the beginning of the day and trying to align, you know, my will with the spirit of the universe or the God of my understanding or good orderly direction or whatever you choose to call it, just realizing that I, I shouldn't be out there trying to direct everything, that I should be sitting back and allowing things to happen and, and taking what comes and doing the best that I can with it. And those are the best days I'm telling you right now. Well, one of my favorite things that Thich Nhat Hanh talks about is I could be wrong, you know, and that's that's probably some of the best things that ever happened to me in my life where when I finally realized I could be wrong, you know, that's it. I'm reminded of the time that the Dalai Lama met with Thomas Merton and he was pouring him a cup of tea and he kept pouring and pouring and pouring and it kept overflowing. And Thomas Merton's kind of looking at me and trying to figure out what he's doing. And he said, this is what you Westerners are like. You're so full of yourself that nothing else can get in there, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it, it makes sense. And that's what happened. I had to become willing to open up to, you know, I could be wrong. You know, maybe my ideas aren't as solid as I thought they were. And then things can can open up to me. And it's and it is a process of unlearning a lot of concepts that I already had, a lot of hard wrong thinking that I had, wrong attitudes more than anything else. Another thing Thich Nhat Hanh talks about is we wanted everything in our lives to change, but we weren't willing to change our attitudes about anything. Hmm. And that's a big thing. We have to be willing to change our attitudes, the way we look at things, the way we perceive things. And I look, I look at that biblical verse, you know, an eye for an eye. I don't think, you know, you took I, I took your eye, you're taking mine. I have to lose the way I look at things in order to have a new way to look at things. And I had to lose the old drunk, that eye, in order for a sober eye to come in there. Wow. These things are all really things that I needed to hear. I don't know if you guys are aware, but five days ago, I just got six teeth pulled out of my head. And uh, that must have been entertaining. (laughs) It was. And... And it took away a lot of things I thought I was sure of. I mean, I think of myself as this spiritual powerhouse that's this amazing dude that can do all these things. And uh, the past five days, I have not felt that way. You know, obviously, (laughs) obviously you need to do some drugs when they pull six teeth out of your head. So I'm not feeling myself. And um, I tried to go to a meeting on Sunday and I don't even know why Doug was there, but he was like, we don't have a meeting. I was I was there for you, Chris. Really? <laughs> I don't know. That, that that goes back to the the simple miracles that I was speaking of earlier. You know, of of being in the right place at the right time, without even knowing why you're there, but then having you know having these chance encounters that uh, that later on it makes sense. I mean, that's that to me is is one of the things that has kept me interested in recovery for you know 20 years deep there's a lot of stuff that that can you know kind of wear you down i've i've seen plenty of people that that don't relate and don't fellowship you know after 10 15 years and they they kind of move away from the spirituality and the fellowship part and uh i mean i just i'm as enthused today as i've ever been and I, I think I give the credit to the fact that I'm, I'm still trying to learn. You know what I mean? I don't feel like 
I don't feel like I work uh, an outstanding program by any means, but it certainly has done wonders for me. But I know that I know that I've just barely scratched the surface, and I and I want to, as it's exposed to me and as it's you know uncovered, I want to learn more, and and I learn you know I don't learn as much from reading um, as I do from my fellows. You know what I mean by something like this being involved in this podcast is a spiritual experience for me because I I said in the beginning that if I could sit and absorb information from you three guys, whether we were being recorded or not, it would be something that I would want to do, you know? So it's, uh, it's neat to think that this will eventually find somebody that will be able to use something that we're talking about. And and that to me is spirituality. Me too. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I remember a long time ago I was asked, I, I've always been a part, not always, but in the beginning I was a part of these, um, it was basically an 11 step group and we would get a book and we'd go through the book. Um, and I remember somebody saying something to me one day, he says, Oh, that's such a good book. We got to do that. You know, and it, it was all the focus was on the book and they were saying, well, that's why you're going because of the book. Right. And I'm like, no, I'm going because of the people's experiencing experiences related to the book, you know, and that's where it comes back for me. The spirituality is not what we read, but it's our experiences we have with it. You know, so it wasn't the knowledge in that book that I went for. It was how people related to it, how they shared their experience with it. Um, and for me today, that is really, it goes back to the group of drunks. And it doesn't have to be a drunk. Um, it just needs to be the people and it needs to be the humanity that I'm a part of today. So it's not so much that knowledge until it's related to somebody's experience that they share with me. Um, and that's what I hope to share with other people is how I you know, was presented with this theory or philosophy or whatever, how it worked into my life, whether it worked or not. And if something worked, I, I feel really good about sharing it. But I also have had things where, you know, that didn't work so good to me. And I need to share that also. But it is about being part of it. I, we all hear about, uh, we experience, we share our experience, strength and hope. I had to come to terms with that. It was okay for me to share my doubts and fears also and become vulnerable and to put myself out there. And it, it brought me to a different level when I did that because um, I became more of a part of humanity, you know? So I, that was just something that popped into my head. I could not agree more that about going to the next level when you show that level of vulnerability and, and ask for help. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to sit there amongst your fellows and, and pretend everything is all good all the time. But when you're human enough and, and to ask for help and say, no, I'm, I'm really struggling with this, uh, that's, that's when the next level of magic happens, by all means. I remember being five years sober, and I had to go into a meeting and say I wanted to drink. And that was like, because I really did. I really wanted to drink. And I'm, I thought, five years, I got this thing licked, you know, it's all done and everything, it's all behind me, and I'm sober from this point on, then something terrible did happen, and, um, you know, I need, I needed help, and I, and just by going in there and saying that, just saying that, you know, I wanted to drink, and I need some help, you know, that in itself was like, uh, that, that humility is actually a, a necessity to be healthy, because 
I wasn't going to make it as long as I had that picture in my head that I've got this licked and I'm this different type of person. Now I had to go through tragedies and almost going back out again before I could actually understand, you know, that, that there's a price to pay for staying sober. And that's keeping that ego deflated for the most part. It's not, it's not that much of a cost really. I know that I know that I tend to be happier when my ego is deflated. Um, because when when the ego takes over in my life, that's when I'm setting myself up for all the major disappointments. And when things seem to, I seem to struggle more, you know, in the world, is when the ego takes over. So for me, it's a, it's actually a bargain to pay the price of uh, of ego deflation for the sake of sobriety. And it does keep me from wanting wanting to drink. I mean, if this was only about not drinking, I've I've known plenty of people that that came in and and got off, got off the booze, got off the drugs, and went on about their business, but didn't, didn't continue to enlarge their spiritual life. And you know, I've talked to them down the road, and they're just not—I don't know—they're they're living, and they're not drinking, and they're not drunk, um, or they're not using drugs, but they really don't seem to to be engaged that much. That's, uh, and that's just my take on it. You know what I mean? It's it's hard to judge others, and that's that's something I try to avoid. But my experience has been that most of the time, it just doesn't seem like they're they're that into it. I don't know if anybody else has seen that. I actually loved it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, relapse is a uh, a part of my story. Long term sobriety, long term relapse. Um, but I didn't just uh, leave the rooms and pick up. Um, I was probably three years away from the room. And I believe once I made that decision, um, you know, resentment was there, anger was there, and a whole bunch of fear was there. Um, and I made the decision that I no longer needed this program, programs I was working. And I went along my own way. And probably three years later, the justification for a drink was there. You know, so I actually lived what you were just describing where that, spiral took me down, down, down to the point where I was miserable, a drink became a an option, and I actually took it. So if I'm not working on this, um, and I don't work a perfect program on a daily basis, but continuing over and over and over for, you know, those three years, my life went downhill to the point where, you know, I became ap- apathetic again, and it didn't matter, and I drank, and I drank. So and then coming back in the program, it is, you know, it's gone the other way where I am here, I care about things, I want to be a part of it, and I am working towards it. So, you know, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought now. Oh, the spiritual life is not a theory. We must live it. I tell you what, if we don't live it, it goes the other way. And all those promises, they do come true when we work for them. And if we don't work for them, they disappear. You know, and that was just my uh, my actual experience. That also brought to mind for me that there's no mental defense against the next drink, too. And that's that's something that's that's really, you know, that I have to know that at all times. You know, I got I because like if I start thinking that that I'm the cause of all this success in my life and all that type of stuff. And it's because God likes me and he doesn't like you. That's why these good things are happening to me and all that, you know. The the mental part of it's not it. There's no mental defense against the next drink, so it has to be something, has to be something a little bit more solid than that. You know, it has to be 
almost like a relationship with a higher power, not just uh, an understanding, a theory, a philosophy. You have to start having a relationship with that power. You know, that's that's what I started to say there is we it says in the book that we have a, a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Now, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But in in my life, the maintenance of my spiritual condition means acknowledging that I need help and and consciously asking for it and then and then doing what's being shown to me, you know, listening for the answers and, and going in the direction. But uh, I couldn't agree more that it's not a cure by any stretch. And we're only as we're only as good as the maintenance of our spiritual condition is taken us to on a daily basis and and it doesn't uh for me it, i i can't stay happy on yesterday's spirituality you know i can't be in a good place because yesterday i was i was great you know i i have to i have to reset and and do some work to keep that relationship going every single day or suffer the consequences and it doesn't take long when when i fall away from my my practice to see you know, see what's wrong and then, you know, hopefully get back into it. You know, I myself, I am not a believer in a deity. The divine is not, not my place. It is the humanity that I need to connect with for my spirituality. You know, one of the things that I always struggled with going into the rooms and saying, you know, I do not believe in the God that 90% of the people do, but I do believe um, back to my conversation with my friend where he would talk about seeking God's grace and I would seek mindfulness. This is something that I, I try to express. You know, I don't have the belief that the majority of AA has, I don't think. But I have a belief that um, is mine and works for me. And it is, you know, I, I, from my understanding that, you know, if you don't believe in God, then I, for a long time I had this thing where I was not going to be able to continue in the program because I did not have the belief that the majority of people did. And when I tried to acknowledge that, or tried to, to to say that, and I tried to become something that I was not, you know, so I, I would very much consider myself an agnostic if I'm understanding the word correctly. But I have a belief in a power greater than myself. And I think that that is something that needs to be expressed. I've had, I, I've had atheists for sponsors, I've had very religious people, and I have come to the belief that I need to all of it. You know, so I mean, that's, that's part of what I try to express, and I don't know how well I come across, but it is not a set in stone thing for me, what I have to believe in. But I think I need to believe in something. And as far as being alone, coming from a recovering hermit, it depends on the circumstances. If you, I desired to be alone. I wanted to hide in my fear. Um, I wanted to slowly crawl into a, a ditch and die, like I believe I spoke about last week. But that was by design. These days where I experience um, being alone right now, it's not something I desire, at least not from um, hiding in my fear and trying to escape. So it's a, it's about, you know, coming to terms with who I am and being able to be a part of life, even though I don't feel and believe as probably my perception, 90% of the people around me do. And today, uh, today I'm pretty much okay with that. 
I got a line right out of the book itself during the agnostics. And it says, we needed to ask ourselves about one short question. Do I now believe or am I willing to believe that there is some a power greater than myself? And that power greater than ourselves could be the people in the rooms. It could be, you know, all kinds of things. It could be just trusting in, you know, other people besides something greater than just myself. And that's all we really need, you know, because like if I'm left on my own, if I, I, I'm um, following what, if I'm being my own sponsor, I got a drunk for a sponsor. We'll put it that way. You know, that's probably the best way that I could put it. But I need other people and I need other people to help me go through this because that's the way I see myself is through other people. Not like somebody saying, you did this, you did that, you did this. I see myself in all these other people telling their stories and I see myself like almost a mirror in the things that they're doing. And I think that's pretty much what spirituality is all about. You know, something greater than just me. And, and you know what, uh, Kevin, as I, the phrase, the phrase out of the book that comes to mind, and maybe you guys could help me on where it is, but where it talks about being roomy and all inclusive. And, and that to me goes back to the agnostic viewpoint because, you know, my, my view on God has evolved in such a way that, that it's passed through believing that there was no higher power, you know, and that there was no, no God to speak of. And I've come around to a different point of view, uh, started differently and ended differently, but I, I never felt like I was, uh, you know, frozen out by my viewpoints. And, and there's been, you know, I've seen it, I've seen people's agnosticism challenge before, but I've always been one of the people that has tried to take somebody aside and say, look, you, I've personally, I've learned more from agnostics than I have from people of great blind faith. You know, to, to me, it's, it's, it should be welcomed in every, in every corner of recovery, because I agree with what Kevin said is, as long as, as long as I'm not calling the shots, anything but me is going to work as a higher power. Well, looks like we're about out of time. I'd like to thank everyone who participated and everyone listening. I hope you'll join us for our next episode. And I hope any agnostics or atheists out there were able to learn that it is possible to use the same tools of this spiritual program no matter your beliefs.